Good afternoon. We're back with another episode of the Sean Mo Hoops podcast. Uh, the first, uh, I guess, the relaunched podcast since it's been a few months and relaunching with Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation, who uh, was the guest of the very initial first episode, I think uh, 20, 2018 in October, after we'd both seen uh, Zion Williamson and a bunch of other players. And we were talking about your Zion article, which I think still looks very good at, at the time. So Ricky, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I miss being able to go to live basketball events and talking to the homies about, you know, the next rising class of players. We would always go to USA Basketball. That was really fun. I miss going to UIBL and, uh, you know, the Under Armour League. And that's all really been put on hiatus with the pandemic. And it's funny now where it's like, how how does that sort of play into the evaluation of these players in this next upcoming draft in yep. You know, the future recruiting classes in college basketball, which you could probably speak to uh, more intelligently than I could. But uh, it really just has thrown a wrench in everything. But, you know, we're about to do another draft. What is it like five months later, six months later than it was originally scheduled to be? And now here we are. Yeah. So right now we'd, we'd normally be, I guess, you know, about one month into the basketball season. And here we are still talking uh, mock drafts with the real draft coming up, coming up soon. I think, you know, Recently on on TV, um, a lot of people got to watch Chet Holmgren and Imani Bates, but you know that was really the first. You know there have been some other events here and there, and some smaller AAU events, but no USA basketball, no summer evaluations. And I think it's you know when you're looking towards next year, especially college basketball wise, and you know we'll talk about your first mock draft and kind of all the things that have changed. So it'll be interesting to see you know with a lot a lot fewer evaluations how that how that pans out but with the draft coming up um I know you're set to release another mock draft um and before we get into that and I think we touched on a little bit last year but your kind of process for going going through these mock drafts and you know I I know these things aren't easy so what do you kind of do what's kind of your process when you're when you're setting setting these up Yeah, well, I think that uh, one thing I've learned covering the draft over the last seven or eight years, which I've been lucky enough to do for my job, is humility. So I feel like I've just gotten a lot wrong. So I feel like now when I, uh, I've of course gotten things right too, though. It's a, you know, it's a draft. It's how anyone's going to do it. Uh, So I think like the first thing I do is just read a lot. Like in the draft, I feel like information is the most important thing from the team's perspective, like just being able to map it out. If you like this guy, what range is he going to go in? Can we move back and still get him? So I think just like trying to gather all the information or intelligence you can is probably the biggest thing. And then I typically mostly weigh statistical performance in games with my eye test. Uh, I think that, you know, you have to factor in there. There's certain indicators I typically look for uh, steal rate, typically translates pretty well. Free throw percentage, uh, I think, affects long-term shooting projections. So a few things like that. And then, uh, you know, in terms of eye test, just trying to find games where prospects are matching up against each other, I would say. And now the season just feels so long ago, man. Like trying to think back to, you know, like specific prospect matchups. It's like, man, that was like almost a year ago or over a year ago at this point. So uh, it's been a long time. We've been focused on this draft class. I think uh, I'm feeling a sense of relief as much as anything else that the day is finally approaching and we'll be able to move on to the next one after this. But yeah, it's a it's a fun draft class, even though people don't view it as being particularly good uh, because of the lack of consensus top end talent. I still think when we look back five, six, seven years from now, there's going to be a lot of good players in this class. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel, you know, from the, the top, there have been a few players that have been at least from the mocks at the very beginning, um, from Anthony Edwards as one who uh, you wrote about January 2019, kind of getting ready for this 2020 draft. So once again, I think for, you know, going back when you wrote about Zion in October of, I think it was 18, he, he wasn't really taught, you know, this is pre, well, well before pre-Duke. So he wasn't really in that number one conversation so early on. Um, but Ed, Edwards has been, and he's kind of stayed there. But there have been a few other, you know, James Wiseman has been been up there, and then uh, LaMelo Ball kind of joined the conversation. 
you know, for some people once he started in Australia or maybe a little before. Um, so why don't you kind of, you know, would love to hear your pr- projected top five, you know, kind of your top five that you have right now. In terms of like who I think the five best players in the class are? Yeah. Yeah. So I would put LaMelo number one. Uh, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this too. Cause I was doing a podcast with a guy yesterday and he's like, I have LaMelo 16th and this dude was a coach who I respect. So I think LaMelo certainly we'll say he has a volatile range of outcome, but I actually think his floor is higher than people are giving him credit for just because of his size. And I think like he's a intelligent player. Obviously he's still prone to bad shot selection and, uh, you know, some things that don't necessarily correlate to basketball IQ. I still think like, when we call LaMelo a basketball genius, it's more like it's more like when you call Kanye a genius. It's like a creative sort of genius that you can't really put your thumb on always. Uh, but I think could very well correlate to having high-level impact in the NBA. So why would I have LaMelo number one? I think that uh, what you need in the NBA if you're a bad team is creation ability. And I think LaMelo offers the most creation ability in this class by far, I think the league has obviously moved away from like traditional floor generals. LeBron led the league in assists this year. Luka Doncic was second. And neither of those guys, of course, are like your traditional Isaiah Thomas Pistons level floor general. They're big oversized wings who take on the responsibility of playmaking. So I think LaMelo is sort of the best of both worlds because he's the size of a wing. It's six, seven, six, eight. And he has these natural point guard instincts. Uh, In terms of my worries about him, I wonder if he's going to be able to score efficiently in the half court. Like, you know, you can talk about shot selection. You can talk about, you know, defense. You can talk about how he's always had situations catered to him uh, throughout every stop of his basketball career. But at the end of the day, dude, like if he's going to be a 51% true shooting percentage guy, then he's just not going to be that impactful. So he's going to have to find a way to score efficiently in half court situations. But I would still take him. uh, It's a... There's just not a better pick to me. Like, there are safer picks, but I think that LaMelo is still relatively safe just because of his size and his uh, creation ability. And, yeah, I mean, it it might very much could end up blowing blowing up in the team's face who takes him, especially if it's Minnesota, where I think that, you know, it's not really a perfect fit there. But right. I would still probably take him because there's not really a better option, in my opinion, and because, you know, their creator is D'Angelo Russell, and I think that that means you have a big margin for improvement in terms of your team's main creation ability. So that's my argument for LaMelo. After LaMelo, I would have Anthony Edwards and Killian Hayes in some order. Uh, Edwards, we've talked about at length before, but uh, got all the physical tools. When he decides to get to the rim, he's just phenomenal. I think his package of athletic traits, we're not just going to use the blanket statement of athleticism, but all the traits that go into athleticism, he's just like elite of elite like really really good athletic package of skills uh i think that teams should not want to put the ball in his hands and let him be the engine of the offense the same way you would with lamello maybe because yep. his decision making is really poor uh defensively i think he's much worse than lamello but he also has pretty rare shot making skills that remind me quite a bit of like a zach Levine, a player like that uh where it, it's almost detrimental to him because like because he can make these super tough shots, it like sort of coaxes them into t- attempting them in the first yeah. place. He shouldn't be, but when he wants to get to the rim, he's awesome. Uh, I would love him in Golden State in terms of team fit, where he would not have to be the engine of the offense. I think he could come off the bench. They could try to teach him how to play off the ball, and he could sort of develop as a cutter and sort of these ancillary skills that I think could make him really good transition ability. Uh, So I'd have him two or three with Killian Hayes. And the argument with Hayes, similar to LaMelo, I think he's got the second most creation potential. Uh, He's obviously not a blindingly great and explosive athlete going to the rim, but I trust him to run the pick and roll. And I think he's a high-level decision maker. I think he can throw the hook pass to the corner. I think he can hit the lob man. Uh, I think he's just like generally a high IQ guard. I don't know if he has even all-star potential, uh, but I think he'll be solid. And I think that, you know, if you if these bad teams need a point guard, you might as well take a swing on him because I do think that he's very young. He's big. He's, like, big and strong, 6'5", 220 probably. Looks like he has a body that's going to fill out. Seems like he approaches the game the right way. And then I also think he's one of the few players in this class that projects as above average on both offense and defense. I really like Killian Hayes' defense. 
uh, from a team defense perspective, a little bit at the point of attack too. So I like Killian Hayes third. I know the NBA teams do not agree. I think it's more likely maybe that he slips outside of the lottery than goes in the top 10. That's the buzz we've been hearing lately. But uh, Hayes, to me, top three prospect in this class, no doubt. Uh, I would go Okongwu at four, Onyeka Okongwu, center out of USC. I don't exactly want to give him the BAM comp because BAM's <laughs> development over the last year has been such an outlier. But I do think that Bam's success is a center under 6'10", who doesn't really have shooting range, but is still a superstar, is sort of the blueprint for how a Kongwu could return value in a top five overall capacity. I think that he is just such an efficient offensive player, awesome defensively in terms of the types of coverage he can play. He can drop back and still defend the rim against the pick and roll. He can press up on a guard and, you know, hard hedge, chase him out. Uh, he can switch and stay with guards and sort of corral them. So I love Akangu. I don't think his ceiling is super high because he's not going to be a high-volume offensive player. Yep. Who cares? I mean, I, I just really trust him to be a good NBA player. And while he might not be a volume offensive player, I think he'll be an efficient one. So that's fine with me. I'll put him number four. And then fifth is an interesting question. I'm going to look at my mock draft real quick. And, okay, so five and six is a toss-up between Okoro and Vassell. I think Okoro has a little bit more upside in terms of, like, maybe he could have some creation ability. He's really good at getting to the foul line, which is something that's, like, pretty intriguing. Obviously, he can't shoot to save his life, but maybe you can improve that uh, as he goes on into the league. I think Okoro is just a winner, has a great mentality, awesome defensively, checks every box defensively from point of attack defense, team defense, even being able to like wall up and get vertical and protect the rim. Uh, So I really like that out of him. But I think role is going to be super crucial. Like if you just put him on the wing as a spot up shooter and try to make him a three and D guy, I would not do that. I think that's a terrible idea. You're going to have to be more creative with him offensively, use him in some short roles, use him in the dunker spot. Just don't put him on the perimeter early in his career because teams will ignore him. And that's what happened in SEC play this year. And when teams started scheming him that way, I think Auburn's offense took a huge hit because they were basically playing four on five on offense. Uh, But I do think Okoro has the mentality, and I think he's got some bankable offensive skills to make him worthy of a top five pick. And the last guy I'll throw in there is Devin Vassell. I guess we'll say he's number six. He's really a toss-up with Okoro. I could argue it either way. Uh, You know, three and D guy. But really good 3 and D guys are super valuable. And uh, I think his team defense is fantastic. He's someone who really could step in and fill a role right away. If that was for Minnesota or Golden State, I don't think they're, either of them are going to take him. But he's probably the best fit for either of those teams, in my opinion. Uh, while his ceiling is limited a little bit because he's not a creator, we'll see where that goes. Like, you've seen flashes of, like, some dribble pull-up mid-range stuff for him he can kind of get to the rim. Uh, and then I sort of worry offensively, like, you know, is he going to be a high volume three point shooter? Cause it's not like he was one of these guys who's jacking eight threes a game. Florida State right. taking like three a game. So he's going to have to figure out something offensively, either be a high volume three point shooter or be able to create a little bit. I think volume is probably his best Avenue. Uh, but I love his defense. And I think that like, you know, he's the one guy who I think could really just help teams win next year, probably. Uh, and, you know, you could say he doesn't have a high ceiling, but really good 3 and D guys are super valuable. So uh, that's kind of how I view the top five of this draft. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to work backwards on this one. So in terms of, of Vassal, um, I mean, he, he was a guy, you look at his, his profile from Florida State as a freshman, and he, had, you know, he played 11 minutes a game, uh, 4.5 points per game, 1.6 rebounds. He shot 42% from three, but obviously limited, very limited sample. Um, so I'm curious when he kind of when he really started to get your attention and when he started really to rise up, because it seems you're definitely higher on him than kind of where a lot of other projections have him. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's hard to even think back that far. That's like, <laughs> probably the start of conference play. But I I don't have, like, a game in my mind where I was like, oh, this is the game that he really shot up the boards. I think that he was just a really solid player for two years, and I just sort of like his wing defense and his outside shooting ability and how that sort of uh, translates to what NBA teams are looking for on the wing. 
So uh, I think that, you know, teams probably aren't as high on him because they don't see him having a really high ceiling. Is Devin Vassell going to be an all-star? If he's not an all-star, is he really worth that pick? Well, uh, I don't think this is a great comparison, but someone like Otto Porter was the third pick, never been an all-star. I think he was a worthy third pick. Obviously, he's had a ton of injury issues, but like when Otto Porter was healthy in Washington, he was really impactful. I think he can still be an impactful player towards the later stages of his career if he could somehow stay healthy. So uh, that's just kind of my thought process behind it. But, uh, I mean, you watch more ACC basketball than I do being a North Carolina guy. What is your evaluation of Vassell? And do you think that perhaps I'm inflating uh, his value? Oh, no. Well, I I really like him. And I think for me, you know, did he capture my attention as a freshman? Definitely not. Um, But when – I remember looking, you know, looking going into last season, and I don't know if you ever read or remember um, Luke Wynn when he was writing for uh, CNN, uh, SI.com. My all-time favorite writer, yeah. So Such a he would always do his, uh, the kind of the breakout sophomores, and it was always based on these guys that played under 20 minutes. There's kind of a certain criteria. Um, played under 20 minutes, averaged under 10 points per game, uh, kind of had a, over a hundred offensive rating and had a high uh, usage rate. With the the mindset being that these guys, in their limited minutes, um, played kind of a major role and did so efficiently, which could then translate. And when you looked at that of uh, a a lot of his stats, try you know, trended that way in terms of his efficiency and three point shooting. Um, so I was kind of intrigued by him going into the year. Did I expect him to become a lottery pick? Definitely not. Um, you know, I remember the UNC game specifically. I don't think he played particularly well, but you can see his length and his shooting and his defense, which once again, in a draft that may or may not be as strong as others, how many all-stars are you really going to get out of this bunch? And if you can get a guy that's a solid player versus a guy that's you're trading away in two years, which you know, happens all the time these days, I think you're going to get a solid pick. So I might not have him six, but I think he's definitely a top 10, top 10 guy that can be a very consistent player, which I think will end up being better than a lot of players drafted higher than him. Um, so I think, yeah, he'll, he'll be interesting. Um, I'm going to jump ahead to LaMelo just since you have him number one. And, you know, LaMelo has been in the news since, really before his freshman year. Um, and the last time the last time I saw him play in person was a little over a year ago in the L.A. Drew League. So this was before he went to, um, went to Australia. But in terms of actual real competition was his sophomore year at Chino Hills when him, you know, on the team, him, his older brother, but also Big O, um, who you have top three. And also in that, they're playing at USC, and also in that group of four was um, Marvin Bagley and Bull Bull. Um, so it was, I mean, it was a perfect storm of talent uh, right then in Southern California, and you know, was probably the first time I've seen the USC gym packed for a for a basketball game or basketball game. But you know, Lamelo, you know, I think for him the, the side, you know, because as a freshman, I remember watching the Chino Hills team and. You had Lonzo Ball, who was the star of the show, and LaMelo would really set up in the, in the corner. And you had this guy who was maybe six feet, um, you know, probably a buck 30, just jacking threes from all over the place. You know, it looked like he was putting every ounce of muscle just to get the ball to the rim. And then sophomore year, um, obviously took on a bigger role, but still this really small guy that would jack, you know, jack shots from wherever as soon as he entered, entered half court. And now you have a guy who's, as you said, six seven. So the fact that how much he's grown just over the few years, because I remember kind of being floor level with him last year and just being like, man, this guy is humongous compared to when he was six foot, six foot one. The only thing that concerns me, which I think is less of a concern now, is just his general explosiveness or kind of ability to beat somebody off the dribble one on one. But I think that's much less of a concern given how prominent the pick and roll game is right now um and his ability to you know kind of be as you said be creative and do two to three dribbles or two to three moves to kind of get somebody off balance so i I kind of agree with you uh on him kind of being the top the top prospect as well as his high floor and 
um, you know, high ceiling. You know, as I said, the one concern is the, the quickness to beat somebody off the dribble one-on-one, but I think you see that less and less these days. And if you get him playing kind of a smart team basketball, I think ideally you'll see that efficiency increase. But it's been interesting to see him over his four years and just the project, you know, how he's changed and, and more from the sidekick to now the number one, number one player. Yeah, it is wild. Last time I saw him was on the JBL, which was his bad <laughs> upstart league. I was like the only reporter there. They played in Chicago. Uh, and it was the LaMelo show. He ended the game with like some <laughs> insane stat line of like 45 points, 19 rebounds, 14 assists, something stupid like that. And uh, I didn't really think there was much you could take away from the game, given the overall lack of structure of that league. But you can see LaMelo's talent because he was so tall and so developed in terms of ball handling ability. I feel like me and you do this podcast every year, and we're always talking about some wing who's six foot seven. It could be Stanley Johnson. It could be Justin <laughs> Winslow, whoever it is. And we always say Wiggins, you know, goes down the line. Well, if he improves as a ball handler, his game could really be unlocked. Well, LaMelo is like one of the better six, seven ball handlers I think I've ever seen. Now, there's a difference between like having the the bag, having the package, and then being able to deploy it in a smart way. Uh, and, you know, I think there are legitimate questions about LaMelo. It's kind of a YOLO pick to take him number <laughs> one, in my opinion. Like, I don't know. If he's there, like, just take him. If not, you can always trade him. And he yep. should have some value to me. Uh, and I really don't think Minnesota is the best landing spot for him either. I think that, like, the Bulls would be a great landing spot for him. I'm from Chicago, lifelong Bulls fan. Uh, I think that that would probably just be the best fit in terms of team need and, you know, market and opportunity for LaMelo and all these things. Uh, And I think the Knicks would have been great. And there's probably a few other teams, uh, you know, as you go down the the Pistons, I think would be good too. Uh, Minnesota, I just don't think is a great fit. And I could see LaMelo being a second team guy where he goes to another team and then sort of takes off. But I think from the Timberwolves perspective, uh, people are always asking, like, how does LaMelo fit with Cat and with D'Angelo Russell? I guess I don't know what you're, if you have thought about it from this perspective at all, but my mindset on that is, like, he's almost insurance against that pairing. Like, I would probably be surprised if Cat signs another contract in Minnesota, right? Like, that's not yeah. going to happen. I mean, maybe he will, but most likely not. Now, obviously, Minnesota should do whatever they can to maximize their window with Cat uh, because it's just hard to get a player who's that good. and you know, they got to they gotta go all out to win while he's there. But, you know, if it does eventually go sideways, or let's be honest, when it goes sideways, because they play in the West and the bar is just so high to compete in the West, uh, I think, like, you know, by that point, maybe LaMelo is 22, 23, and then he could potentially be ready to take the keys for the franchise. And uh, So I almost view him as an insurance policy against the Wolves' present. That's not what you want when you have, you know, sort of a – generational talent like cat uh who i think he has three years under contract left so he's not like it's not like he's uh impending free agent or anything but uh it's just it's interesting to think about the top of this draft what minnesota does because uh even in a draft where there's not much consensus i think that like fit matters more than ever and you know we could do a big board today and talk about our favorite fits but really we should do a big board when this draft is over and then we could be like, you know, I love this player here. I think that that's something that really benefited Tyler Hero. If Tyler yeah. Hero goes to the Hornets last year, you know, how high are we on Tyler Hero right now? But instead he goes to Miami, able to develop with them. Obviously terrific rookie season in the bubble. Uh, these are all things to think about as the draft approaches. Well, it's funny you mentioned Tyler Hero, and I've been going back through some some older mock drafts, and I think one of the first ones I looked at was January 2019, and that one had Jaden McDaniels going number one at the time. It also had Tyler Hero, um, you know, going around 17. So I was expecting him to stay his freshman year and come back for a sophomore year. So, um, and I, I do want to get into your early mock draft in a second, but two, I guess, two quick things. One thing in terms of fit. For me, I'm going to be most interested by Golden State just because, you know, this year, granted it was the bubble, but the Lakers just walked through everybody they played. Um, and obviously Golden State had been running the Western Conference prior to that. And now assuming that Clay and Steph 
get healthy, you know, and add Draymond not having to be a number one option, you know, do they trade Wiggins? Do they not? Do they trade this pick? What do they do with it? But for them being able to add another talent um, to go with that, I think is very intriguing as they try to compete with uh, Golden or compete with the Lakers and get back into the finals. So I think for me, that's going to be most interesting of, you know, do they make the pick? Who do they make? Do they eventually want to trade it? Um, do they go for the guy that is going to help them now or the guy that is going to potentially be their best player in maybe, you know, five years or so? It's a much different situation, but as a Wizards fan, I always go back to, uh, the, the, I think it was the 2009 draft where they had the number five pick, traded it for Mike Miller and Randy Foy, who were on their last year, their contract. And, you know, once again, they had Gilbert Arenas and Jameson and Butler. So who's to say how they would have used it? But when you see the fact that Steph Curry was was right there, it always always hurts. And even, you know, for the, not to get on the Wizards tan- tangent, but even for them, they thought they could compete with the Cavs. But this was, you know, Gilbert was on his downfall after his injury. So even though they thought they could, they really weren't at that stage. But I always think of that when you're talking about, you know, trying to do what's best for this year versus trying to take a talent for the future. So for me, Golden State is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I think you always got to think long term, to be honest. Like, you know, if I'm taking a guy for it's, – it's interesting, though, with Golden State because they're almost the exception. It's like Steph is a truly an all-timer, like maybe the best point guard ever. I think that his resume puts him in that discussion. Uh so I don't know. It's like, to me, their most impactful guys would be a Kongwu or Vassell. But you could take Edwards and then like, you know, he could start to ascend when Steph declines. And I think that, you know, you that would be an environment where Edwards could perhaps become the best version of himself, maybe learn some good habits and wean off his bad habits. Uh, from all indications, and this is not set in stone by any means, but it seems like they like wise men. So I think that that's sort of the idea between like Wiseman, what, what I'm going with, with a Kongwu. I'm not the biggest Wiseman guy. Uh, I was going to ask watching, about that. <laughs> yeah. After watching him in EYBL. Uh, but it, it does seem like they're leaning towards Wiseman. So go ahead if you want to ask. No, no, Because I, I think you have Wiseman kind of a little outside of your top 10. Um, and I know he's a very polarizing player. Just one given some of, you know, his actual performance in EYBL and all-star circuit, uh, as well as a limited sample in college. And for him, I mean, he's a guy that I think when you go back to all the high school, um, you know, all the rankings for 2019, he was always really, it was him and Vernon Carey um, one, two for most of the time with, with him really winning out just because of his upsider athleticism. And you know, a lot of people have him in the top three with, I, I guess, it being that, once again, here's this physical specimen that has a high, you you want to imagine he can do so much and that whoever gets him can kind of mold him into being that player everybody thinks he can be. But when you go to, whether it's EYBL or Adidas, any of the AAU circuits or games he's played in, you see this, you know, long, rangy, athletic player that does a lot of things that make you say, wow, but then you see him out you know, clanking 18-foot jump shots um, and just kind of not being a dominant force. Uh, so I think, you know, once again, he's intriguing. And if maybe I have a top five pick, I would go with him just based on the potential. But, you know, once again, is he one of those players that can turn into that? Or is he what he is, you know, is he what he has shown where he's just always going to be potential, which I think is a, a big risk. What sort of worries me about him is his lack of versatility. Like, when you have him on defense, he's supposed to be like, you know, ideally you draft him with the thought that he's going to be the next great rim protector. But I think that you have to play drop coverage against the pick and roll. I don't think he's someone who's going to be a hard hedge guy or someone who's going to be switching onto guards. So I think, like, you have to play drop coverage, which is fine. I think that that might be – it's probably the most conservative pick-and-roll coverage, but also could be the most effective. Uh, but, you know, when you get deeper into the playoffs, I feel like you just constantly see the fact that you need to have more schemes than drop. 
the Lakers maybe are the exception to the rule because Davis is such a, you know, a world ending force. And in the rosiest projections of James Wiseman, perhaps he could become something like Davis on defense, maybe. Uh, I don't really think he has that sort of lateral quickness. I don't think he's that quick off the floor in terms of his jumping ability. Like when we would talk about Marvin Bagley back in the day, it's like, holy cow, he could jump three times before anyone else could jump once. Wiseman's a load up guy. He takes yeah. a minute to actually like elevate where Wiseman is really good athletically. And I feel like this has gone undercovered in the discussion of him is he's just like fast as hell end to end. So yeah. in the open floor, Wiseman like flies and you're like, oh my God, he could be like super good as a trail big man in transition or just like, I mean, the way the game goes, who knows? Like he could maybe even like be a grab and go rebound guy. Uh, if he improves his ball handling down the line, he is 19 years old or whatever. Uh, so it's just his general lack of versatility that scares me. I think he has to play drop coverage on defense. On offense, I don't think he's a plus shooter or a plus passer. Perhaps there are projections where he becomes a plus shooter. Uh, I'm not buying that one at all, but, you know, maybe it could happen. And then one thing that gives me pause, another thing that gives me pause with him, his EYBL senior year rising senior year so the eybl the nike aau league they do like three teams all eybl teams like all nba teams he didn't make any of the three teams who's the number one player in the country (laughs) beat out by vernon carey who's not a projected first rounder by isaiah stewart who's not a projected first rounder i forget who the other guy was who knocked him off i should go back and look that up but uh he finished with 52 percent true shooting on the eybl that's trash and (laughs) Yes, he was sharing a front court with uh, Dandridge, who's like a big traditional center on Memphis now. Malcolm Dandridge, is that his name? Uh, who's basically like a throwback center. And I, he can't even crack the Memphis rotation the way Penny wants to play. But that was a major crunch issue and a situation issue. And I think that uh, that's potentially a reason why Wiseman wasn't an efficient scorer. But still, it's like, if you're the number one guy, I think you got to be better than that. And I view Okongwu as the best center because I think he's more versatile. And that's just me. Uh, I could totally be wrong. And I do think Wiseman is about a top 10 player in this class. I could argue him anywhere from like 9 to 12. Uh, That's just sort of my read on him. And I think like if Golden State takes him, it's kind of disappointing to me because maybe he does fill that need right now of like they haven't really had like a big rim protecting center but that's right. also sort of what made golden state special was they just had so much versatility in the lineup and they didn't have you know a rudy gobert like guy now Gobert's awesome he's probably a top 10 impact guy in the league or top 15 impact guy in the league he's like legitimately a stud so if wiseman can get to that level of drop coverage and rim protection then absolutely he's worth the second pick but i'm skeptical because he's not quite as big Maybe he'll get as strong. I mean, he does have a the type of frame that looks like he can add muscle, but uh, I don't know. I, I would, I would, I'd like him a lot more to the Wizards at nine than to the <laughs> uh, Warriors at two. Well, it, it's funny because I, I think um, you know, looking at, at your very first mock draft, you actually had him number nine, so you've been pretty consistent with your your thoughts um, on him. And when, when looking at Okongwu, I mean, I think that's one thing about him is his jumping ability. I mean, he's going to be the guy that is jumping three times before the next guy is jumping once just with how quick quick he is off his feet. Um, one guy I want to talk about who, once again, performed very well in the EYBL, which is a big reason for, you know, well, that and his, his lineage, but is Cole Anthony. Um, so... Kind of going into UNC, he was, you know, I, I think by all accounts, the top five player in the class um, in a lot of the mock drafts. I think you had him number two, others had him number one, top three, four, no matter where you where you had him. And, you know, now on your board, he's number 20. Um, you don't really see him in the lottery, really, for, for any, you know, any other mock draft. And you see him anywhere from really 14 to 25. Um I'm curious your thoughts on him right now, just kind of having been able to see him in college. Now, he was playing on a pretty horrific team um, and he was dealing with injuries. But, um, you know, you also saw a lot of a lot of things with him that caused him to cause him to drop. Um, So I'm curious kind of your thoughts on him now 
um, you know, kind of really a, a year or so later, or I guess more than a year later, but your thoughts on Cole Anthony. Yeah, I had him number two on my preseason board. I thought that he could potentially be a really dynamic off-the-dribble shooter who could also be good in the pick-and-roll and athletic enough to finish at the rim. I think what the tape sort of exposed on him is that I don't think he's that strong of a guy going to the rim. Like, I don't know if he really has the explosion to go up. Like, he has, like, dunk contest explosion, but I don't know if he has, like, functional explosion in terms of being able to absorb contact, still finish. Also, Cole Anthony's older than Zion and R.J. Barrett. So you sort of expected him to be more advanced than his peers because he was a year older than most of them. And we didn't really see that at UNC. Obviously, he tore his meniscus, what, at the Battle for Atlantis around Thanksgiving. Yep. So, you know, that's a serious injury. Uh, not like a career-altering injury, but I think it obviously impacted his season quite a bit, especially when he came back from it. Uh, I guess the avenue for Cole, to me, is still pull-up shooting off the dribble as a guy who teams can't go under the pick-and-roll on, right? Like, he's you can't go under on Cole because he's just going to – pop a three in your face uh in terms of like being able to run the team though I don't really see that like in terms of how he's wired uh now like I said earlier the league has mostly gone to big initiators I don't know if anyone's even looking at Cole Anthony like yeah you're gonna be our floor general but I think if you were to pair him with someone like let's say Luka Doncic 18th pick with the Mavericks I think Cole could potentially be really good there where he could be a one position defender guard point guards but on offense, I think he plays more of an off-ball role. And then, you know, if Luca's action breaks down, you kick it to him, he can run a secondary action. So that's kind of how I view him. I still sort of like Cole. I'm not totally out on him at all. I think that NBA teams have probably always had less of a high opinion on him than the blog boys. But <laughs> to me, Cole still has some... Uh, some ceiling in the NBA because, you know, if you just have a, a guy who could be a really dynamic off the dribble shooter, that's really valuable, especially when you put him next to a bigger playmaker. So that's kind of how I look at Cole's draft stock. I would be much more interested in your evaluation than mine because you watched a lot more UNC than me. So, you know, where do you, like, would you take Cole with a lottery pick in this draft? Sort of what do you think is the best case scenario for Cole fit wise and how do you sort of see his game leveling up? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I definitely don't think he, you know, he, he's going to be. You're going to be pick him, and he's going to come in and be your your top player by any means. Um, I do think maybe now um, he's kind of a buy low guy, where I think he's probably been been where he's slotted now is probably lower than I think his talent ability. Um, so I, I would say kind of in the. 10 to 14 range, to be honest with you. I think, you know, once again, maybe he had some higher expectations placed on him given his EYBL performance. I remember going back, I think it was a USA U18 tryouts um, that he was that he was in. And this was a mixture of players going into their senior year of high school. You had guys like um, Kobe White, who was going into uh, his freshman year at UNC. And you're watching Cole and they passed out the measurements and, you know, I think he had a 42 inch max vert or something around that, which just caused you to say, Oh, wow. You know, he blew everybody out of the water, but when you're watching him, you know, attack the paint off the dribble, you never really saw that explosion as you mentioned. And it always seemed like it was, you know, he, once again, he wasn't a guy that was just going to blow you away with his, his quick burst. Um, so it, it seemed like he always had trouble getting by, by a guy right off the bat. and even in EYBL or high school, he seemed when he was finishing in the paint, he was hitting a lot of tough shots, like tough floaters, drawing contact, et cetera. Now at UNC, he didn't have any floor spacing, didn't really have any, any talent. Um, so I think that was a, an issue. And you can talk to, I think there was a game at Louisville as well as uh, the Syracuse game against the zone where he played very well. And I think that's kind of what teams would want out of him, but once again, I think he's not your 6'4", 6'5", type guard that everybody's looking for. So I would say that 10 to 14 range um, would be realistic. But, you know, once again, I think he's a guy that, you know, <laughs> if he had gone maybe to Australia, maybe he's he's not getting picked apart like he is. But, you know, I think that's kind of the fun of, of these mock drafts and of these projections because, you know, 
another guy you have in here, Tyrell Terry, um, at number 18, he was a guy that wasn't on anybody's board in high school. You're, everybody was watching Matthew Hurt on his AU team. And here you have Hurt going back to Duke for a second year. I mean, you have Zeke Nanji and Tyrell Terry that are going to be first rounders. So to me, that's always the fun part of seeing how these things play out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like Cole, I think fit will totally matter. He had a terrible fit on UNC. Like, let's just be honest. They were starting Justin Pierce on the wing. They were getting like, no, they just didn't have any talent after losing so much talent from the year before. Uh, and I thought that like, maybe they could make it work coming into that season. So I thought Cole was that good. I thought, you know, the grad transfers, they're veterans. They can be hit shots. No, they were awful. And it put Cole in a terrible position. Well, but, even after that first game at Notre Dame where he had, I think, 30 points. And, yeah. you know, even then, he, there were the worrisome signs, but the stat line was so good. Uh, but, yeah, it was not a not a great fit for him. Now, like, if Cole goes to the Celtics with the 14th pick, I'm like, give me all the Cole stock. Like, he'll probably end up being really good if he goes to the Celtics with the 14th pick, the Heat with the 20th pick, the Sixers with the 21st pick. Those are the three sort of landing spots I would look at with Cole. But if he ends up going to – uh, you know, an uh, organization that is less prudent. I, I don't know. It could, it could go sideways for him. So, yeah. yeah. But when we talk about this now, I'm like, do I really think Tyrell Terry is a better prospect than Cole Anthony? I'm like questioning myself totally. And you can argue it either way, but they're definitely in the same tier of players. Uh, but man, Cole, I was really high on coming into the season. He wasn't a bad f- fit he had injury issues that he said so maybe i need to reevaluate that a, a a smidge well i mean once again we were talking about how there's no usa basketball how the, there you know none of these other events i think some of those are very good evaluation tools like the usa where once again eybl has a lot of talent but it's divided over three au circuits and something like usa you know now everybody's together and you're seeing them um but last draft question for you um, you know, is there anybody either in the late first or, or even in the second round that you think, you know, a few years from now, we'll be saying, you know, how did that person go so low? Um, or are there any guys in that range that maybe you're just a little higher on than, than others? Yeah, I think there's several guys. Uh, I'm going to throw Isaiah Joe out there. Because the league loves shooting. Isaiah Joe is like an amazing shooter and he has just the most volume ever. Like Isaiah Joe can really get up three pointers. I sort of view him as more of a boomer bust guy than I do a like a three and D guy because he's so skinny and I don't know if his body's ever going to get there, but uh Man, he's tight when he gets up some threes, and I think that he has really a unique ability to do that. So I'm glad he entered this draft. He was a guy who was on the fence about going to Arkansas, going back to uh, Arkansas. I'm glad he entered. Uh, I really like him. I like Devin Dotson, too. Like, I think Dotson has a lot of the same appeal that Kyra Lewis does. I like Lewis, no doubt. I think he's going to be a good player. But, you know, Dotson, you get 30 picks lower, probably, and I think they have a lot of the same skills, sort of. Uh, Kyra's a better finisher. Kyra's a better prospect in general, but Dotson's really good. I think like, you know, the similarity there is they can both dust their man off the dribble, get into the paint. And then, you know, how their shots develop, how their finishing develops, that's sort of going to be the key trait. But Dotson, I really thought was probably the best or second best player in college basketball last year. Like he was, he was awesome. Uh, he wasn't as good as Obi, but you know, he was in the mix of like, you're very much top tier guys in the country. So I like Dotson as a late round guy. And then uh, one other name I'll mention, or two other names. I'll say Xavier Tillman, mm-hmm. who I think like doesn't really fit into the the trends of the league, but he's just a bully, man. Like Xavier Tillman will like, he won't battle you above the rim, but he will beat you up on the ground and not even let you get position. So uh, I love Tillman. I think, you know, he's a plug and play guy in this draft. If he goes to like the Raptors late, it's like just, put him in the playoffs right now, give him 20 minutes. He'll be able to hold his own. And I also like Grant Riller from Charleston. Uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on him because you probably followed his career more closely than I did. But he's just a super explosive scorer, three-level scorer. Like, he can rise and fire. He can get to the basket. He's a really creative and awesome finisher. He's going to turn 24 as a rookie. He played at, you know, a very small college in the colonial, like, Charleston. But 
his scoring package is just sick. So I would take I'd take a shot on Grant Riller. Why not? Yeah, uh, Riller's definitely one that I like. I agree definitely on the explosion. I think he has a really good um, you know first step explosiveness. I think initially I remember his. I think it's really his three point shooting is probably the one the main question mark. He ended up shooting you know as a sophomore thirty nine percent, dropped to thirty three percent as a junior, and then um, finished at thirty six percent. Last year, which I remember kind of going into conference play, he was in the low 30s. So I think that was the concern, which he obviously shot much better in CAA play. Um, so I, I do like him. Um, you mentioned Dotson. The, my first memory of seeing Dotson in person was at an Under Armour event. And I was focused on, uh, here's a name for you, Jalik Felton. Um, and, I, you know, it was also, Dotson was on the court next to him. Dotson got a steal and just kind of burst, just burst out of the pack. And you could see the quickness and explosion. I was like, all right, that's all I need to see out of him. You know, and then I was back to watching uh, Jalik Felton for uh, wherever he is. I don't, I don't know. But um, one name I want to throw out to you is Elijah Hughes uh, from Syracuse, just because, you know, Syracuse played UNC twice. Um, first time UNC dominated them at Syracuse and Elijah Hughes did not play well. And I'm not basing everything off how they did against UNC, but um, they're kind of the two games that come to mind. And then really the last the last game of the, before everything was shut down was in the ACC tournament and Elijah Hughes just dominated. And I think his size shooting and he has, you know, not going to be getting to the rim anytime he wants, but I think he has enough ball handling to be creative. Um, so I, I feel like he, could be a good second round guy that does, you know, kind of outplays his, his rankings. Yeah. How do you, th- how would you evaluate his defense? Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think that that's probably what is keeping him in that kind of uh mid tier second. You know, I, I think once again, the two, three zone is, is hard to, you know, hard to evaluate players on. I think, um, you know, can he guard a, Three, I think teams would try to target him and pick and rolls a lot. Um, but I also think he would be able to at least maintain with kind of his size and length at times. So, you know, I, I give him a below average grade on, on defense. And that would be worrisome if you're talking about, you know, playoff situations. But I think in terms of where he'll get drafted, of just trying to find a functional basketball player that he can definitely, um, you know, crack a rotation pretty early. Yeah, I like his shooting ability. I think, you know, what, sort of like the ideal team build these days is like a superstar wing who handles the ball, initiates the offense, and probably plays the four, to be honest. And then you want a point guard who's like a secondary creator, ball handling guy, someone who could shoot off the dribble and hit spot ups and defend at a high level. The guy who's coming to mind immediately is Kyle Lowry, is sort of like the perfect guy next to your big initiator. Then you want two, three, and D wings, and then a center who is a lob threat. I mean, that's probably like the mix that most teams are looking for. Obviously, you got to cater to your best players, and not every, you know, if you get a Carl Anthony Towns, that goes out the window, and then you try to build around that. But uh, like in that scenario, I think that Hughes could like fill a wing shooter role, no doubt. But then it comes back to his defense and, you know, if he's able to survive there. So I like him, though, as a. He's a second rounder. Yeah, why not? I mean, he's a big wing and he can shoot. So there's worse bets to take. Those guys typically have a lot of value. And yeah, see if you could, you know, teach him some good defensive habits and try to really unlock him on that end of the floor. I do like that one. That's one I haven't considered too much. But you're right. He was great towards the end of the season for Syracuse. So that's interesting. All right. Last uh, last question for you. Is your Western Illinois dynasty still going on? Yeah, I'm still doing it. So you get 40 years in the game before you have to uh, retire. So I said early in it that I was going to go all 40 years, but now it's, I still love streaming it. It's really fun. There's been a community that's sort of formed around it of a few hundred people who are like really into it. There's a subreddit page that someone made. There's a Instagram fan page someone made. Uh, But I need to make it less work intensive though, because I'm writing like literally 10,000 words if we win the title and that's just way too much so I'm trying to think of ways I can 
lessen the burden on me. But yeah, it's fun. I'm actually doing a stream tonight. I'm sure this podcast won't be out by then, or maybe it will be. But yeah, we're in the final four. We're looking for back-to-back titles for the first time. I'm on year 26. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm going for John Wooden's records. I got five titles, and I got 14 years left. Wooden won 10. So I really want to wipe out Wooden as the greatest simulated college basketball coach of all time. I will say, though, my recruiting has fallen off in recent years. I kind of whiffed on the last recruiting class. Uh, and that's why it's fun. I think that, like, people follow it because they sort of, like, get kind of invested in the prospects I recruit, and then they want to see the recruits out. But then that cycle happens every year, so you're just constantly sucked back into it. But now I'm blowing it in recruiting. Uh, we'll see. And I did have my best ever recruiting class that are now seniors. They were number five in the country at Western Illinois. Uh, and they're poised to potentially win back-to-back titles. But yeah, it's a, it's a silly project. I started during the pandemic when there were no live sports to write about. And I thought, well, I'll stop doing this when the pandemic's over and stuff comes back. Well, stuff is back, but the <laughs> pandemic is worse than ever. And it's just kind of a sad story that like nothing has improved in the world, but Western Illinois keeps marching forward. And I I have this scenario in my head where like college basketball all gets canceled. Like everyone's catching COVID. It's just horrible. And I'm like, well, here's year 34 of my Western Illinois dynasty. If you want to read about college basketball. So yeah, it's still marching on. It's been fun to do though. Well, I know, uh, I think early on, it definitely uh, kind of gained a lot of traction. I think even some t-shirts were made um, or some other. Sold about uh, 120 t-shirts. That was some nice unemployment money for me at the time. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully college basketball is able to have a season and provide some evaluation opportunities for the 2021 draft, um, which I'm sure you'll be excited to start uh, doing some mocks for the 2021 uh, after this is over. Yeah, I might DM you after this is over and we can talk about some of that because if I am going to do a 2021 mock, I feel like I'm just not as well-versed because I didn't have the opportunity to go to these events to really evaluate this class of players. Uh, But yeah, we'll talk. There are a few guys I like already coming into the season, so we'll see how that shakes out. I think it'll probably be a better class than this one because you're going to have the top guy at the, the head of the draft in Cade Cunningham, who I'm super high on, like everyone else is. I think he's going to be a total stud. Uh, but, you know, how you slot in two through ten, I think will be – or even three through ten will be pretty interesting. So that'll be a, a fun class to turn our attention to when this is over. Yeah, I'm interested to see how the G League program goes. And, um, you know, obviously the money is great. Um, does it pick up steam? Um, I think will be a good good question when next year's – next year's recruiting class as well so um with that thanks for coming on uh as always and your next mock draft what day is that coming out tuesday tuesday okay so check out check out the mock draft on tuesday at sb nation and then uh the real thing will be coming out on thursday so ricky thanks again for for coming on well thanks man